Sound Health radio show, where we talk about the crossroads of the environment and our health. With Richard Talk to Me Guy and Sherry Edwards is off working on the soundhealthportal.com. I'd like to suggest going to the soundhealthportal.com, scrolling down to the bottom of the page, and watching a demo, click on the video demos button, and watching a demo of Sherry doing a live workup with somebody online. It's a, it'll be a video of Sherry doing a live workup online with somebody who volunteered to have their vocal print or vocal profile worked through. And the reason I say that is because once you watch the process, it's a lot more clear about the kind of information that's possible, how it works, what it looks like, because there's a lot of, or it can be a lot of information. And Sherry has come up with some amazing charts. Not too long ago, she came up with a chart which she can click the button and it'll show you the thing you want to be working on now. If you're looking at a particular issue of immune or cognitive or neuroplasticity or D or any number of things. And it'll show you if you work on this, that'll help everything else function more effectively. And then you can go back and look at the bigger picture. So I suggest going to the soundhealthportal.com, watching the picking a subject in the video demo list that you are interested in, watching that. Then after that, if you want to do a voluntary workup or a, or a campaign, campaigns are free trials of software packages, then go back, pick one. The system will walk you through doing it and submit your vocal print, and you'll get your report back by email in about two to three hours. But I think watching the process really helps you give an idea of the potential. It's really, it's an amazing thing, the soundhealthportal.com. To hear and share replays of this show, about 20 to 30 minutes after I, you hear the outro music, you can go to talktomeguy.com, all words, go down that page, and you'll see this show there in about 20 to 30 minutes after we end. There are also archives for over 300 hours of shows there now. And the site was designed to be very mobile friendly, so you can easily pull it up on your device and either listen to a show or look up show notes. All the links or anything that I talk about today will be in the show notes, and you can see it there. And right at the bottom of the show notes is a player, so you can play it either from there or you can listen to it on any of your podcast aggregators, or you might just have it in your feed already because you subscribed and you just get it. So at the bottom right of the show notes is a little microphone, and people can leave messages there requesting information or further wanting to know about something about the guest, or you might want to suggest something, or you can just click on that button, again, from your mobile device or from your computer, and just leave me a message that's saying, hey, I want to know more about this, or how do I find out about that? And I'll get notified, and I'll get back to you. With that, Ed Harold blends the fields of neuroscience and the wisdom of contemplative traditions into effective strategies to improve health, performance, and overall well-being. Ed's fluency in mindfulness-based strategies, combined with a belief in human potential, gives him the depth and understanding to meet individuals and groups' needs across industries and platforms. Ed is an author, inspirational leader, public speaker, coach, and educator. Ed's mastery in the science of mindful breathing blends the fields of neuroscience and the wisdom of contemplative traditions into effective strategies to improve health, well-being, and performance. Ed is the author of Life with Breath, IQ plus EQ equals New You, and Body Mind Business, The Business of Being Within. Ed is a contributing editor of the Thrive Global, Mind Body Green, and Huffington Post, and more. 
Ed's breath as medicine trainings offer the continuing education in the healthcare field, health and wellness, fitness, allied health, and sleep medicine communities. Ed is the breath expert for Goldie Hawn's Mind Up organization. Ed joins us today to talk about influencing biochemistry and a community. Welcome, Ed. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's an honor to be with you again. Such a pleasure. I always look forward to our conversations because you never know where they're going to go, and it's all possible, and I love that. Well, thanks for allowing that to happen. I'd like to ask you, if you would, please, would you take us through a short, guided breath to bring us all here? That would be really awesome. Certainly. So wherever you find yourself this morning, if you could plant your feet firmly down into the earth, just press down into the earth and feel the support that comes up through the spine into your mind. In your own way, lengthen the spine from the tailbone all the way up to the base of the brain. Kind of settle in to the intelligence of your vertebra and the nerve endings that are present there. Relax the features of your face completely allowing the eyes to rest back in the sockets, maybe letting go of any old tension around the low jaw or the voice box, the tongue or the teeth. Shifting your mental attention to the process of the in-breath, taking in this fresh energy that you're surrounded by every moment of your life and begin to slow it down as it enters the inner world from the outer world. And what does it feel like to slow the inhale down with a straight spine and a connection to your feet? Sense the muscles of inhale that are providing you support right now in the mind and body this ingoing flow of energy that's going to happen 20,000 times today. And just smoothing out the inhale to the best of your ability. And notice what happens in the mind when we have a steady rhythmic inhale. And is that something you could be interested in? Maybe a little deeper. And when your inhale is complete now, before you exhale, pause. Allow there to be a gap between the end of the inhale process and the initiation of the outgoing breath or the exhale. And in that pausing, what's there for you right now? Shifting your awareness now to the process of exhale. You'll be using your abdominal muscles, the muscles around the solar plexus and the navel. And try to lengthen your exhale by riding the wave of exhalation a little bit longer than what you were doing moments ago. Slow motion inhale, pause. Shift your mental awareness 
to the outgoing breath. And as you ride the exhale longer, notice what's happening in your body. Notice what's happening in your mind. And just observe it without trying to change it. And now, if you wish, when the exhale is complete, pause before you allow a fresh moment in through your nostril. Slow motion inhale, pause. Slow motion exhale, pause. Straight spine and just allow the mind to do whatever the mind chooses to do. And you just watch your mind without taking sides, without competing without judging, just be neutral. Neutral is an amazing point of great strength and transformation. Just another round or two, slow motion, inhale, pause, slow motion, exhale, pause. Let the mind do whatever your mind chooses to do. And we just watch it in a relaxed way, like we're watching a film. And when you're ready, let go of control of the breath and let the body breathe on its own based on the genius of our autonomic nervous system and our self-perception at this moment. And allow yourself to feel full if you felt empty lately. If there's been too much on your plate recently, too full, allow yourself to feel empty in this moment without the sense of lack. And remember, you're not just a drop in the ocean. You are the ocean in a drop. Breathe into that. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. In researching for the show, I heard you doing a short meditation, and you said, relax into whatever is there for you, whether it is pleasure or non-pleasure. And I was surprised by that in a great way. I've been in a number of group meditations. And the direction always seems to be toward what I call puppies and kittens, meaning the happy place. I rarely hear anybody in guided meditation groups that are willing to say whether it is pleasure or non-pleasure. Could you talk about the power of acknowledging both sides? Sure. You know, my experience has been that if I don't deal with the discomfort in my life, I will never truly understand comfort. If I don't deal with the pain in my life, I will never authentically begin to experience pleasure. And I get it. We all want to have an amazing, positive experience every single day of our lives. But what happens is in that constant search for pleasure and avoiding discomfort, we begin to create illusionary 
mindsets that cannot be sustained. Our mind is a lot like nature. Winter, spring, summer, fall, high tide, low tide, partly cloudy, partly sunny. And all to create balance. When we have a relationship with ourselves around discomfort and we can communicate with the discomfort rather than the discomfort communicating with us, or if we can have a relationship with stress rather than stress dominating us, in other words, we're subservient to our stressors. For things to change in our life at the level of consciousness that we're working at individually, we need to have communication. That's the great part about being human is our ability to communicate. And where there isn't conscious communication, it's very unlikely there'll be any change in perception. So my thing is, whether we perceive it as good day or bad day, it's just a day. Whether we perceive it as good thought or bad thought, it's just a thought. And there's a mystery to all of that, which I find very stimulating and things like I want to investigate the mystery of thought. And to do that, I need to reduce the information. I need to expand the information. I need to reverse engineer. How did I get to this particular thought? And a lot of us have difficulty in doing that. It makes me think of, I, was, I wasn't going to go here, but I'm going here now, um, that I've been around two different, what I would call two different kinds of healers. Well, a number of, I've watched Buddhists do the, the praying, chanting healing, where they visualize it is being done. They have no, you know, they just see mm-hmm. the person being in purity or clarity or I'm not, don't know the specific word, but I've watched that. And then I've also been around people like Amachi, where it's, it's a presence that's, you know, she's been doing healing and loving work for so long that it just literally radiates out of the room. You can see the building glowing. Mm-hmm. And then I've seen the other kind of healer or loving being, such as Rosalind Bruye, who is an amazing hands-on healer. But mm-hmm. she just, man, she's sweating and, you know, like going through it. And she does amazing work. I mean, she was researched by Stanford University because they were like, what is she doing? We don't get it. And they still don't know, but she still does the amazing work. She wrote the book Hands of Light. And I just think it's such an interesting thing that she has amazing healings. Now, she's a healer, but she's still doing healing work. And her intention is to heal the person, but she feels she has the I must fully participate in that physically. Whereas the Amici approach, and I believe your approach, is you get clear intention and you have love. And that's kind of it. Am I reading that correctly? Is that would you talk about all that in a way you can? <clears throat> well, love is the only healing that's available to us on earth. And there's lots of different flavors and expressions of love. And we're all just really walking ourselves home holding hands. There's there's many different paths to 
where we're going and opening ourselves up to the inner healer that's inside each of us. We all can do this. We all have been born with amazing qualities and when we can stop, you know, feeling sorry for ourselves or attacking our neighbor or, you know, I've got a better idea than somebody else. You know, we can let go of everything that separates us as a species. You know, the ego loves to keep us distracted. The ego loves to keep us spinning our wheels everywhere and not getting full traction. You know, everybody's in this doing mode, doing, doing, doing. And I get it. You know, it, it feels good to get self and it gets done. You know, you get that dopamine rush and, you know, it's wonderful. But at the end of the day, it's really about what are we being? And when we have a better understanding about the human being inside us, it's much easier to interact with the doing part of ourself. So there's many different forms of healing. But we're all going to the same place. There's many different styles of healing and you'll go through probably a few different styles along the way. If you're listening to this show and you'll go through various stages of, you know, reflection and reaction and openness and closed. And it's all really part of this master plan that we're all a part of. And just being okay with the process, not getting in your own way. Sometimes we just need to make a, get a blank sheet of paper and draw a line down the middle, get quiet, take a few breaths, say, here's where I am, here's where I've been, and here's where I want to go. Or this is helpful, and this is not helpful. But at the end of the day, the, the healing work of the healers is great. But that healing is available to us every moment of our life. From the moment we open our eyes in the morning and we fill our breath and mind with gratitude, and then we go out in the day and we interact with people in traffic and we interact with people at the supermarket or the workplace, you know, we come back home. You know, every moment of our life is an opportunity to heal, to transform to let go of the ego's control over how we see ourselves and how we see the world and search out the inner world for that guide that we all have inside in us. And part of the, well, I have a number of, I always want to talk to you, uh, but part of that is also, I, it's about community in my mind. And to me, the community is the earth. That's really right. the, the guiding force to me is the earth. That's why I'm such an advocate about environmental stuff, because despite what some people would think, this is the planet. This is the only planet we have. I'm not going to Mars. I'm not planning on going someplace else. I'm here. So how about we be here? It's like what you're saying, what you said in that meditation with whatever's there, good, pleasant or unpleasant, we're here. How about we make it nice for each one of us? And in turn, that the, then that affects the community. And we get the benefit of that. What about that? That's the guiding force I like. That's why I love your work so much, because it's directed toward be here now. I forget who's, who 
there was a book about that, but I forget who wrote that. And, thank you. Yep, thank you. And it's really true. Be here now. Start from that. That's what I, again, when we start with the breath work and it calms me down, I'm not particularly anxious in general, but it just still brings me even deeper into a quieter place. And it's, yeah. it's great. Um, you know, this sits right in with your, what I call canoe meditations that you post on Instagram. When you're in a canoe in this spectacular, you know, it's a beautiful location and you're doing a very short meditation in nature. And it's like, yes, nature. How about that? How about we engage what the planet thinks and feels? If we listen to the planet, we'd all be more community and realize that if we don't get together and not hold, we don't have to hold hands and be doing kumbaya, but focus on the earth and everything else will fall into place. Look at nature. Nature knows what she's doing. Really? That's the power of the breath. You know, when you really begin to look at different strategies around consciously controlling your breath, what you're tapping into is a force that's beyond anything that could be described by the ego. You know, this inherent energy that spins the earth in space, this energy that allows the, the sun to rise and the, the moon to follow, this amazing energy that allows high tide and low tide. When you begin, when I began to control my breath, I began to see that that inherent energy was also moving through me. And where was I blocking? Where did I need to let go of old habits and perceptions that simply were outdated programs that had no bearing on what was being revealed to me in controlling my breath. You know, when you look at the breath, it doesn't take a big stretch to take a look at the in-breath is the sun. If you want to look at that scientifically, we know the heart rate goes up on the inhale. It's a branch of our autonomic system called the sympathetic system which is warming, it is heating, it's based in cortisol, it's designed to bring arousal and light and plants stand at attention. We stand up taller with the thoracic diaphragm moving downward during the process of inhale. And then we have this exhale, which is like the moon, it is cooling, there is no sunlight, it's parasympathetic, it's serotonin based. It is cooling. It's your HVAA system. It's an air conditioning and heating system. So thing reverts back on the exhale. But as a human, you don't want to collapse around on the exhale. You want to hold that erect spine and arousal that you get from the inhale, but you want to cool that fire down. So, you know, we have the conventional medicine <clears throat> style of breathing where we look at it scientifically and the autonomic nervous system and what happens with hormones and neurochemistry and all that. And then we have the way that the ancients learned breathing, which was being out in nature. There really wasn't any math or science or words and they just observe the environment and how the breath was deeply tied into sunrise and sunset and the winter and summer and the in-between seasons of, spring and fall and it's all right there for us whether you want to look at it through 
the nature style or the environmental style or whether you want to look at it through conventional medicine, it's all relevant. So however you want to look at it, the main message I'm trying to make here is get started with your breathing today. And it's so perfect that you mentioned cortisol because that was one of the things that I wanted to talk with you about is last week I did a show with a gentleman who co-authored a book called Cortisol, the Master Hormone. And part of what in the book they're talking all about cortisol, but one of the things that he's doing is he has a company that's developing an app for your phone and test strips, saliva test strips, so you can measure your cortisol levels at home instead of waiting the week for lab results. And I thought it was a really interesting idea. But as I thought about it, I thought, that's very cool. So you can measure the ideas that you get the kit and you do five strips the first day throughout the day. And then you have sort of a, a reference point, And then you can then once a day cortisol levels are doing. And I'm thinking this is all amazing technology. And I think it's phenomenal because he'll design it eventually to be able to test for other things such as vitamin D and other things you want to monitor, be aware of. And then I thought, yeah, to talk to Ed. <laughs> Not really, because he's coming up with a product that he wants to sell. But the book was filled with all this information. And I think about your work, of, which will lead me into talking about asking about veterans. And you're in, have you done work with PTSD mm-hmm. veterans? Because that was one of the groups that he talked about, working with them for measuring and monitoring their cortisol levels. Because that when they get their cortisol balanced out, they feel better. And I'm thinking, with your work, how about you do the breath work and you feel better and we skip the monitoring? I'm not trying to put him out of business. I'm not saying anything bad. I'm just saying this non-technology of actually paying attention to our bodies and clearing intention and breath is power, is the thing. Um, And so I, I want to redirect back to, have you done work with veterans and what do they observe? How do they feel? How are they? How is that? Yes, I've done work with veterans, and the breathing that we did in the beginning of the program is one of the first techniques that we'll use with them. It's really hard in life to unsee what's been seen. It's really hard in life to unhear what we've heard. It's really hard to feel what we've felt. When we begin to slow the breathing down consciously like that, the higher brain, the hippocampus area of adults, begins to immediately light up, becomes very excited. And in that, it allows new perceptions to form around our old perceptions, these new ideas. Sometimes it's called neuroplasticity or shifting your perception around a person, place, or thing. Updating the software and then allowing that to wedge into the hardware of the cerebellum in the back of the brain. So when we're talking about higher levels of stress, we're in cortisol overload as the brain is sensing danger, danger, self-preservation begins to kick in. The amygdala 
begins to grow larger in the brain, begins to get involved in all of our thoughts, whether there's danger or not. So when we begin to slow the breath down, it triggers the brain or it hacks the brain into thinking, hmm, I guess we're okay. There's no threat of danger because we're taking less breaths per minute. You know, when we're under levels of stress, high levels of stress, we're taking many breaths per minute. The heart rate is high. The blood pressure is high. The body is storing fat. It's not burning fat. And the neurochemistry of the brain is shifted from being to a warrior being for self-preservation. When we begin to slow the breath down, it shifts. Number one, slows the heart rate down. Very good. Because the heart sends more information to the brain per day than the brain sends to the heart. Mm-hmm. As the heart takes, as the heart's receiving less breaths per minute and less beats per minute, there's more parasympathetic or reactivity moving through the bloodstream. So our blood pressure is more stable. The brain picks up the stabilized blood pressure and the higher part of the brain begins to relax and we begin to learn and we begin to create new perceptions around old events. And these old events hold trauma. We need to reshift or shift our perception of these events because they can no longer hurt us. And then we begin to burn fat in the body as our primary fuel source. And we know that past traumatic emotional events are stored in our fat cells, not our glucose cells. Every day when we get up, we have about 60 minutes of sugar supplies or glucose supplies that we can burn for energy. We have about 30 days of fat stores that we can metabolize if we can just slow down the breath. So when we begin to breathe slower through the nose and we exhale longer than the inhale, it triggers safety in the brain. The amygdala turns down. There's less fight or flight thoughts. And then the body behind the scenes begin to incinerate higher levels of inflammatory markers and fat cells around our hips and buttock and belly that are storing these past traumatic events. And then we have a chance to neutralize them. We're not looking to take a negative event and make it positive. All we're trying to do is take a negative event of the past and we're trying to neutralize the visceral effect that the body is having around that psychological event. Mm. So you're really helping, um, this would be from a different kind of languaging, but you're really helping in helping blow the charge from an event. Is that correct? Yes. So what we're trying to do through the breath is we're trying to change the physiology, the biochemistry of the body around the neurochemistry's perception of the past event. Ah, So it goes back to the, uh, I always like to refer to the saber-toothed tiger that research has been done looking at if we think about, if we're just in a meditative state and then we bring up the saber-toothed tiger, our body is going to start to react and probably pump up our cortisol levels, and pretty soon you're going to be slack-jawed and breathing through your mouth if you think about it long enough. Right. 
And so it's really about changing the body's own awareness of itself and getting us back to our center core. That's in the form of a question. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. You know, everything in the body is happening in real time. Now, this thought that has arisen in the mind might have occurred 20 years ago, but the body's going to react to it as if it's happening in real time. It doesn't know the difference. It doesn't know that it's just a thought. It's just a memory. It actually thinks we're in danger. So this is why the breath is so important in a therapeutic process is that the first step is to notice you've been triggered. The second step is to slow down the inhale and stabilize the brain and stabilize your heart rate. The second step or third step is to stay on that exhale and allow the exhale to be longer than the inhale. And this is going to trigger a relaxation response. The body's going to burn fat and we have an opportunity to maybe shift our perception of this old intruder that for some reason has shown up on the stage of our mind. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Shown up on the stage of our mind. That's a good one. I'd wear that t-shirt. <laughs> That's really good. And I'm going to jump slightly, but this does fit into all of this. Have you done ice bath work? And how does one prep for this? I've done, I've done for years, I did cold showers at the end of a shower, just straight up cold water. And I just think the phenomena of the ice bath or even the, not just the ice bath, but also the uh, super chilled body freezing things like a tanning bed, but instead you step into the chill, super chilled, nitrogen chilled space that you freeze. Thank you. Cryo stuff for 60 or 90 seconds. Have you done ice bath work and how do you prepare for that? So the ice bath work is, is amazing work. It does many good things for us. My suggestion is <clears throat> number one is get control of your breath because your mind is going to look at ice water and it will always resist it. There is just something in us that does not want to go into cold water. There is a, there's a contraction psychologically around that. And it's all an illusion. You know, it's, it's the ego panicking. Your body loves it. Uh, and it's just something where I would do some mindful breathing, whether it's slow motion breathing through your nose or whether it's fast breathing through your nose. Either way, you want to get some circulation going and get out of the head and get in the body. You get into the ice bath to the best of your ability. Some folks put their hands under the water. Some folks don't. The main thing is, you know, get as much of your body under the water as possible without straining. And then as soon as you get in, you'll notice there is a cortisol effect because cortisol is a heating product and your sensory perception is that it's cold. So, you want to begin to immediately slow your breath down and get control of your breath because the first few seconds, when you're not used to it, there's going to be some hyperventilation there. And it's, this is where you want to get control of the mind and know that you're okay. So as you get into the bath, you settle into it, 
and you slow your breath down and you just try to find a, a rhythmic full inhale because the brain is not going to want to take a full inhale or a full exhale because it's sensing danger around the cold, but you are fine. So you begin to lengthen your exhale. So you're fully inflating the lungs and lengthen your exhale, fully deflating the lungs. So you're getting a, a full exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide in a cold environment. There's different studies in regard to how long you should be in it. I think everybody's different, but I think you can receive benefit from simply being in it 20 to 30 seconds. So hmm. that's really not that long. Uh, I like doing it in the morning. I do it every morning. And it's just like the hardest thing I have to do every morning is get up, get out of bed, get into that cold plunge tank. And then once that's done, it almost seems like the rest of my day is a mental breeze. <laughs> Yeah, it's very invigorating. I've done it. I used to uh, go to a hot springs that had a really hot plunge. It was all organic, mm -hmm. natural water coming out. And they had an extremely hot plunge. And I'd go from the hot plunge to the cold plunge. And you could always hear the, hear the people who had done it before because it'd be yelps of some kind at either end because it was extremely hot and extremely cold. And I always thought, felt it to be invigorating once I, I hadn't really studied breath work but I was aware of it and there was just deep breathing involved or sometimes it was called sucking wind. But once you got mm -hmm. control of the sucking wind and you actually breathed into it, both were extremely beneficial and especially going from the extremely hot to the extremely cold was really exciting and invigorating. Well, you know, let's, let's talk about that for just a second. You notice when we hyperventilate or breathe fast, when we've lost control of our breath, Notice we've lost control of our mind. And notice when we take control of the breath and we slow it down, we have much more influence over our perception and value of what is going on in the present moment. And our ability to control the environment that we're in is huge to our level of happiness and success in life and not feeling threatened and not feeling fear and using all of our skills. When you think about the hot and cold and what that does to these little microscopic muscles on our blood vessels, we start out in the body temperatures at 98.6. And then we go into the cold, which is maybe, you know, 40 degrees and our blood drops substantially from that, 98.6 and goes way down into the 50s almost instantaneously and then we go into the heat and that water is 100 degrees 110 degrees whatever and then the blood then warms up very quickly so that full spectrum of the blood getting really cold and really hot and back to really cold and really hot it strengthens these microscopic muscles on our blood vessels and let's face it, our health is deeply connected to the health of our blood and our circulatory system and oxygenating our blood and removing toxins off the blood, removing anything that would be a host for bacteria 
or viruses or something that would allow disease, to, any excessive inflammation, mucus, phlegm, something that would be a host for disease. So when you think about the hot and cold bath like that, what you're actually doing is you're exercising, but you're not going to the gym. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's an amazing hack because the inside of your body thinks you're going to cardio or thinks you're in the gym <laughs> because the temperature and the heart rate is going up and down based on the external environment that we put the body in as if we were in a gym routine. So it's a wonderful way to exercise if you don't have time to go to the gym for a day or if you did go to the gym and you wanted to use it as a supplement, as a recovery or a preparatory uh, before the gym. I notice when I go to the gym after I cold plunge, my body is so flexible. It's funny, you know, we talk about hot yoga and making the body hot and how much further we can stretch. I notice that I stretch a lot further after freezing my body. It's amazing. I think cold is a great anti-inflammatory. Exactly. That's my, my thinking, that it's really causing the muscles to be invigorated and vitalized and probably sti stimulating the mitochondria in a different way than heat. I've been part of a lot of Native American sweats where you go in and you're with some elders and they, they sort of have the newbies sit near the tent exit because they know at some point they're going to freak out because it gets really incredibly hot. Yeah. And I, I always credit it to my 20 years of chefing that the hot didn't scare me or didn't frighten me or didn't like, oh, yeah, it's really hot. Okay, it's hot. I like the heat. Right. And right. at some point they would give me the nod like, oh, this guy gets it because it's a thing. You, you, tra you get transparent to the heat in a certain way is how I think of it as. And I think the cold thing, cold is the same thing, but I think cold is a, when I was a cyclist, I used to do cold plunges a lot or cold showers. And it really seemed like a great anti-inflammatory. I think there's science on that, but I can't remember who it is. So I, I really like the idea of skipping the gym and just doing the cold plunge, just finding a place with a bathtub and ice. Yeah, it, it's going to burn, it's going to burn fat right off the bat as if you're on a treadmill or going for a bike ride and it's removing waste from the internal walls of our organs. And let's face it. That's where health begins and ends. Nobody's dying of muscle cancer. People are dying of cancer of the organs. And mm -hmm. when we're getting that type of ex cold extremity, it kickstarts these organs to burn impurities or free radicals that have taken over these organs before something uh, more traumatic would occur. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And th I, this is a slightly odd lead in, but I, I want to ask you about sleep, but this all, the idea of cold plunge in the morning and then how that might ultimately affect your sleep or how the breath work really helps us get into a sleep state, which is actually a state of rest. I know that's a radical idea to people who sleep with their phones next to their faces. But it's actually a place of, of rest, the rest cycle. So please talk about how sleep can be so bene benefited by breath work, getting us into a state of putting everything aside and allowing the body to actually go into a rest place. 
So let's start with the brain. And we know that as we move through the day and uh, make decisions, analyze, strategize, you know, that's classically called the beta brain. And uh, it's the second highest brain wave, uh, waves like they can be measured. The more relaxed level before beta is the alpha state. So for adults, classically, it's a little slower wave. You might notice that there is gaps in between the thoughts. You'll, you'll find yourself less rigid, more creative, maybe follow a thread or two of a thought that you normally wouldn't give time to in the faster beta brain wave. And then below the alpha wave, there's a, there's a theta brainwave pattern, which is classically what you would get from a yoga nidra experience or a relaxation experience of lying down. And in about six to eight minutes, your autonomic nervous system will shift from sympathetic to parasympathetic. The classic description of the theta state is your, your eyes are closed, you're in a relaxed state, and you're not really sure if you're awake or asleep. You're kind of on that line between conscious and unconscious. And you'll notice that emotions and thoughts and memories can wash through the mind, but it won't have the mental, the mental attachment or meaning that it would have in the faster brainwave activity of the beta. So it allows for major shifts in our perception of our life. And then below the theta brainwave pattern, we find the delta waves. And this is classically where we have gone unconscious. It's the slowest brainwave activity. So when we think about the breath work, <clears throat> we think about slower breathing. Slower breathing is going to slow down the brainwave activity. Slower brainwave activity is going to put us in a more physiological relaxed state. There'll be less stimulation. There'll be less arousal. There'll be lower levels of cortisol and higher levels of serotonin and dopamine and melatonin and tryptophan, things that allow us to fall asleep. So number one, using the breath as a bridge from the conscious mind to the unconscious mind. When we're going to sleep, we want to get control of the mind. Well, first of all, when I try to go to sleep at night, the first thing I do is I forgive myself because I know that there's things that have occurred during the day that I probably could have done better, whether I'm conscious of it or not. I just find it very humbling. I like to humble my ego and I like to wake up with gratitude and I like to fall asleep with forgiveness. So as I'm falling asleep, my prayer is forgiveness. And I want to go unconscious with that state of awareness moving through my mind. I slow the breath down to the pace of a tortoise. It is really slow. So when the brain sees that super slow breath, it assumes that I am safe. It assumes that there is no threat of danger because I'm breathing extremely slowly. So the war department of the brain, the separation part, the ego part will begin to tone down. And the more rested, the more uh, less judgmental, the more open part of the brain will start to turn on. And then you want to focus on lengthening your exhale without straining. 
the longer you can exhale without straining, the more parasympathetic qualities that you're going to bring to the autonomic nervous system through the hormonal secretions of the body and through the neurochemistry of the brain. You might want to even do something that's called alternate nostril breathing, which is a wonderful way to go from doing to being, shifting from uh, the doing part of the brain, moving more into the more reflective part of the brain. A little bit of breath retention, creating a gap between the inhale and exhale and the exhale and inhale. Nothing that's going to make the face turn blue or spike the heart rate. There's plenty of oxygen in these bodies. So when you think about it, little gaps between the inhale and exhale, and maybe you might want to add a short phrase that would support you having a restful night's sleep. Nothing needy or, you know, ordering the universe that I need to have a good night's sleep or I'm going to be pissed off in the morning. It's just something like, you know, I would prefer a restful night's sleep. I am innocent. I would prefer a deep sleep tonight. I am not guilty. I deserve a full night's rest. Just little things that we can put in between the breathing where we're using auto-suggestion of the brain, which the body is listening to. Wonderful. I'm writing that down. I'm making notes. Because <laughs> sleep is sleep is underrated. I I really think in terms of a healing tool, and actually turning the mind off pre-sleep, and letting the, this that wonderful thing you talked about, where you're actually breathing slower, telling the which then in turn gives the body the message: we're okay, we're safe. You can rest deeply now. That is you awesome. Have, you have we. Look, I look at it this way. The reason why we can't sleep is because we're taking too many breaths during the day. We overheat during the day, taking these breaths, way too many breaths per minute. We overheat the system, too many RPMs per day, too many thoughts. And then we simply don't have enough time from 6 o'clock in the afternoon to uh, 9 to 10 o'clock at night to cool the system down enough to get us to the next morning because the brain still thinks we're in that doing mode. So remember what we wind up, we have to unwind. So think about that during the day and removing any excessive thinking, any excessive movement, everything should be efficient during the day. You know, and if you're not sure what to do, take a slow motion breath and ask yourself, is this the most efficient way for me to show up in this moment? That's great. Wish I'd had this when I was chefing. It would have been amazing to have a group meditation in the kitchen for just two minutes before we went to battle. Because being in a kitchen is kind of going to battle. <laughs> it's really fierce. But I love that idea of focus and intention that we're moving through the, through the evening. That's really a wonderful idea. And the kitchen, I love the kitchen metaphor because the <laughs> kitchen, it's, mm -hmm. it's all about quality. Yeah. The, the, the quantity is going to take care of itself. We need to focus on quality, one plate at a time, one order at a time. Everything is done with great precision, 
like an artist. And over a period of time, you just learn to become what? Efficient with the time that you have to create your art. And I, I think it's so underrated. And I think it's a wonderful way to teach people the value of time and how to focus intensely on what you want, but in a relaxed way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I've always felt that it's interesting that you use the word art because I've always thought that presenting food, uh, that it's the ultimate transitory form of art because you have something placed in front of you by your server, or if you know the chef, they might come out and serve you. And you smell that, so you take in the senses and get the aroma from it, but you also look at it, and if it's presented nicely, it can be just really just nicely plated. It doesn't have to have things done with tweezers. I'm not fond of the idea of tweezers in the kitchen. I think food should right. be touched. But, you know, you just present a nice plate of food with good colors, good textures, some relationship to each other on the plate, and you present it, and then you eat that. You consume that piece of art. And I think right. it's an amazing process. I think it's it's a it's a wonderful thing when it all comes together. And being the lead chef, you're hyper focused on everything that goes as it goes at the moment it leaves the kitchen, and you're also focused on getting that product to the plate correctly, working with your team. So the idea of having a group meditation before to have that team be in the same place, that part would be wonderful because you oftentimes will have somebody in the kitchen who's a little jumpy or twitchy, and that can throw off the cadence for everything else. So it's kind of the chef's job, lead chef's job, to what I would call hold the space. You have to be firm. It's like the lead dog. You have to be firm, but you know, willing to nip, but be kind, mostly, 90% of the time. And occasionally, you have to just yell at somebody. But for the most part, it is about being focused. We're all going. We see where we're going. Let's get there. And here's what we do to do that. It's an amazing art form. And when you can get everybody on the same page prior to that first ticket coming in, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's breathing together. Everybody's heart yeah. heart is beating the same. It's like a orchestra. Yeah. And then we're all going to go play our instruments. You know, you have the head chef, you have the sous chef, you have the pantry guy, you have mm-hmm. your dishwasher, you know, and everybody's going out on their own thing. And you don't yeah. really know what's going to happen tonight, but you kind of know exactly what's going to happen, but you don't know exactly how it's going to play out. So yeah. it forces us to raise our level of attention to mm-hmm. laser focus. Like, you know, what's going to happen, but you don't know how it's going to happen. So it's just like anything else, except that you're an actor, you're an artist, because your art is going to be presented in every plate. Yeah. Yeah. It's a thing. And there is always a moment of, there always seems to be, I've I've run some big kitchens, uh, 500 meals. And there's always, there's inevitably a moment where the ship, teeters for a moment like wait it's too big it's too fast it's too much it's too something and it's your job as the lead dog the lead chef to bring that space back in and just kind of you know point at everybody and get them back on their thing and watch that you know filet or what are you doing with that asparagus or you know just monitoring everything and so you are the orchestra leader and there's always a moment and even in music there's also moments where it might go 
like with jazz, it might go like, where are we going? This sounds weird. And it's the same thing in the kitchen. There can be those moments and your job is to hold that. Okay, here we go. Let's all breathe together. This is all happening. And still, and then as you say, the moment it enters the, enters the dining room, that's it. The food. Highness of the yeah. human being. Yeah, it's very exciting. It's it's because you have fun. to be present. Yeah, yeah, that's the game. Is everybody at their little table is present in their event? It's a it's a great thing. I was really bummed out during the COVID thing with the restaurants being shut down because it's such an integral part of of our consciousness. Like we need to be together as mm-hmm. a species whether we agree with what we hear or what we don't hear or who's sitting next to us, whatever, we just need to be together. We're tribal people. Yeah. And now restaurants are are not only serving amazing food, but it's also a reintegration of coming out from these quarantines into reintegrating back into the tribe. Uh So we have these amazing opportunities help humanity, not just by serving food, but getting people out and looking around at your neighbor or looking around at, you know, at, at the next table or another human being and just remembering our humanness. Uh-huh. It's a great service. Well, it's, we've, we've been gathering in circles or groups and eating forever since mm-hmm. you, since we ran out of the cave and tried not to get eaten by the actual saber tooth tiger. And got back to the cave and we had a meal and we'd gather around the heat of the fire and cook that and eat it. And it's just very sophisticated form we have now where we gather in groups and drink. I'm in California, so you might have a glass of great wine. And I know that I've shared meals with people in the dining room who we don't think alike about the world situation. (laughs) However, in this moment, we're all together doing this wonderful thing. And it's a great vibe. Yeah, I, I noticed we're a lot more together as a species when we're physically together. Yeah. When we separate and get behind the computers and the social media or whatever our particular uh, likes and dislikes might be, you know, 95% of that goes out the window when we're live with another human being. Yeah, yeah, it's really true. I'm I'm surprised to find... Uh, we're at the time when I want to ask you, well, I actually want you to talk a little bit about your online breath is medicine online courses, which I keep thinking I should take one of those uh, because I think it's people think that it, you, you're a great guide at doing this and getting there. And you have courses online and some of those are live where you can actually participate in live groups. Would you talk about those for a moment and tell us where we can find those? Yeah. So uh, at W, www.edharrell.com. I've I've got some trainings that I've cultivated from over 25 years of practice. And one thing I noticed early on is that whether you're corporate setting or whether you're in a healthcare setting, a a nurse or doctor, or, or whether you're just simply a fitness or athletic person, Everybody's basically doing the same thing. It's all basically about trying to control perception, trying to control our heart rate, stalling aging. And it's always about evolving 
today a little further than where we were yesterday. So what I began to see a long time ago was that everybody on the planet is breathing. There isn't anybody on the planet that isn't breathing. Everybody's taking one breath at a time. There's nobody on the planet taking two breaths at a time. Life takes place one thought at a time or one intention at a time. Life can be very meditative, even though we're moving in a bicycle 30 miles an hour down the road. So I began to see that it was all woven together. And what I tried to do in my Breath as Medicine programs was begin to give us shortcuts without losing quality so that we could have unbelievable longevity and health while at the same time evolving our awareness beyond our chronological birth date. In other words, you might be 50 years old, but I want to give you the awareness mindset of a 60-year-old while you're 50 and give you the cardiovascular strength of a 40-year-old. And to me, that was the hybrid perfect human. If you could take your age and learn how to control breath so that you had the cardiovascular strength that you had 20 years ago and you had the psychological awarenesses of what you're going to have 20 years from now, and you could bring that all into you awareness today, I thought that was really a way of creating almost like a superhuman being. And when we begin to see that every single thing that we do, either in the foreground or background, is all about how we're breathing, how we're showing up in the moment, I really looked at it as kind of a sacred responsibility to share this with human beings and gosh it's just been an amazing ride Richard it's great work it really is I look forward to a time when we can I'd like to see you do an email where you produce a um, canoe meditation on a regular basis I just love the canoe <laughs> meditation because it's beautiful it is, it's a really it's all of my favorite things water mountains and calm and it's really powerful it's wonderful work thank you so much well i this my wish today for everyone would be you know even if you're not ready for breath as medicine 15 or 25 25 hour training you are ready for this statement every spare moment you have for the rest of your life pause and breathe in and out through your nose as slowly as you possibly can. Start to practice this every time you find a spare moment, whether it be at a red light or a line somewhere, or you have another opportunity of an open space in your mind. Just fill it with a slow motion inhale and a slow motion exhale, and just begin to see what begins to happen for you, not against you. Wonderful. That's great. Ed, I knew it was going to be fun. It was even more than that. It was even funner. <laughs> thank you uh, so much. <laughs> Everybody have I a great enjoyed, rest of the Thank you. I enjoy Everybody. being with you every time I have an opportunity. You're an amazing man. You've really lived quite a life. Boy, howdy. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, Ed. Everybody have a thank great you. rest of the weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you, Richard. Thank you.